but I can see you're struggling. Don't you think that I can feel your pain? I hear your cries every time. Greetings and welcome to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. I'm your host, Jason Mullet. Uh, you can visit our website at logicalbelief.org. You can watch these podcasts on YouTube. You can search for and subscribe to our channel there. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes. Just search for Logical Belief. Uh, both the audio and video can be found at our website uh, right there on the far right hand um, of the top menu. Just click on podcast there. Um, <clears throat> if you want to send me a word of encouragement or you have a question that you want to have answered on the air, uh, you can just drop me an email at jason at logicalbelief.org. Well, um, we are going to <clears throat> make an attempt <laughs> to get through this broadcast today. I am uh, struggling with a uh, with a cold, but um, so this will probably be a fairly short episode, um, <laughs> at least in comparison to the previous three. Um, this one will probably be about maybe 40 minutes or so. Um, but what we're going to discuss today is um, the uh, the cult, just to put it bluntly, of the Jehovah's Witnesses. So what I want to explore and address is, I'm not going to give a full encompassing historical background to the religion uh, of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, what my intention here to do today is to get you started in being equipped to be able to handle witnessing engagements with Jehovah's Witnesses. So I'm going to be primarily using as my sources um, three articles that I have written and posted already on my website. And so we're going to kind of go, be going through the content of that um, and uh, addressing a few other issues um, as we go, go along. So the, uh, the first thing that I want to address when discussing the issue of the Jehovah's Witnesses is, is the first thing that we need to identify is, is whether they are actually Christian or not. Um, I have had professing Christians uh, tell me that, well, you know, I know this Jehovah's Witness and they really love Jesus, okay? And, you know, I just I just don't understand what, you know, why, why you would object to their religion because they they really love Jesus. So I want to kind of explore and address that objection. It's a very surface level objection. Um, you know, I do have to say, but uh, I want to explore that. And uh, in doing so, I'm going to refer to an article that I recently did post on my website. I'm going to go ahead and transition the screen to that. And uh, let's let's zoom in here. <coughs> um, entitled "Are Jehovah's Witnesses Christians?" So, the the first thing that we need to understand is what do Jehovah's Witnesses believe? And um, so, when the first thing we'll address here is when a Jehovah's Witness says they love Jesus, they are not referring to the same Jesus that we as Christians believe in. Um, they believe that Jesus is a first created being. Uh, they believe that he is Michael, the archangel, and that he is not the eternal son of God, the second person of the triune God. They do not believe that. <coughs> you have to excuse me. 
um, with there's going to be quite a bit of coughing on this episode, but um, the uh, what the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society has done, and uh, that's the um, the name of the group, and the the system of authority behind the Jehovah's Witnesses group, um, has resurrected uh, a centuries-old heresy uh, known as Arianism. Um, Arianism was actually condemned as a heresy back in 325 A.D. at the First Council of Nicaea, and I'll, I'll address some objections uh, some Jehovah's Witnesses might bring up uh, with you on on that particular thing. For example, um, I've had Jehovah's Witnesses tell me that you know the Trinity was an invention of Constantine at the at the um, the Council of Nicaea, and that's just it's really just patently false, but. Um, uh, they obviously haven't done any original reading of Eusebius or, or anyone else who was, you know, actually there and uh, reported what actually went on. Um, you know, Constantine's goal with the Council of Nicaea was to unite the Christians and to bring unity, but he was not the driving factor behind the definition as we know it today as the triune nature of God. The triune nature of God has believed, been believed by Christians, you know, ever since the you know the the first century um the the trinity was something that was revealed between the testaments and the um the new testament writers um simply affirmed this new revelation and it wasn't necessarily new we can see the triune nature of god even in the old testament but it's more clearly espoused and declared in the new testament and so it was believed by christians all the way up to the council of nicaea the thing that we have to understand is that um, orthodoxy or the well-defined orthodoxy always follows heresy. So in other words, heresy will precede it. <clears throat> so when Arianism became popular, when Arius, the bishop Arius, made Arianism popular, which is the belief that, that Jesus, there's um, a Jehovah's Witnesses and Arians would, would be Unitarians. They, they believe that there is only... Um, one being and person of God, and that Jesus Christ is a creation, is a created being, a first created being, but still a created being that came into existence at some point. Um, and so that was what um, Arius espoused, and because his teaching became popular, the church had to unite and come together and establish what Orthodox Christian belief was and refute and condemn Arianism as a heresy. So what Jehovah's Witnesses are is they're just modern-day Arians. And so uh, we have to, um, from Scripture, uh, identify if, if, you know, when a group or a person denies the deity of Christ, um, I have here, uh, Scripture tells us that when a person denies the deity of Christ, they are denying Christ. And in 1 John 2.23, it says, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So, those that deny the Son do not have the Father. And those who do not have the Father are not Christians. So, Jehovah's Witnesses are not Christians from that aspect. Those that deny the deity of Christ are dishonoring Jesus and do not, and in doing so, they dishonor the Father also. In John 5.23, Jesus says that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. 
So by denying the Son, we are dishonoring both the Father and the Son. Um, and this is an example that I've given before, but um, I just I have this here in my article. Someone can name a totem pole in their backyard. They can call it Jesus, and they can worship it or give it some sort of obeisance or honor. But that doesn't make them a Christian. Uh, they have redefined Jesus and are bestowing his name upon something or someone who is not Jesus and giving love and obeisance to it. And this is what Jehovah's Witnesses do. They've redefined Jesus um, as Michael the Archangel. Michael the Archangel is not Jesus. Jesus is not a created being. God's word reveals the nature, being, and actions of Jesus Christ. Anyone who worships or gives obeisance to a Jesus created in the imaginations of men is engaging in idolatry, and they're breaking the second commandment of the Ten Commandments. The Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses cannot save a single person because he does not exist. He only exists in the imaginations of men. Um, and the second issue that I want to bring up, why Jehovah's Witnesses are not Christians, is that um, is <clears throat> with their theology, they do not know and possess the gospel itself. <coughs> the deity of Christ is a gospel issue. And um, and the one thing that I want to make clear is that anyone that does deny the deity of Christ does not have or know the gospel. You cannot have the gospel and at the same time deny the deity of Christ. Only the righteousness of God is sufficient to satisfy the demands of God. Righteousness from any created being would be insufficient to satisfy the wrath and justice of God. God is both eternal and immutable. He's unchanging. Only an eternal and unchanging and immutable righteousness is sufficient to satisfy the eternal and immutable justice of God. The righteousness of God himself is required if people are to be saved. <coughs> and we can see this in um, Romans one seventeen. It says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. But what is it here? It says the righteousness of God. It's a righteousness that comes from God. This is what... If you read any history on Martin Luther, this was where I think it was his moment of conversion when he was reading this verse, is that he recognized that it was from faith that we are imputed the righteousness of God. And we can um, see that even further in Second Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's going to be some brief moments of dead air as I uh, take care of some coughing um, issues. <clears throat> All righty. So also in Romans 3.21 through 22, it says, For now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So uh, when... A Jehovah's Witness denies the deity of Christ, they remove the possibility of having his righteousness imputed to us through his propitiatory sacrifice on the cross. Um, they only have the righteousness of a creature. Uh, so there's no way that they can have the gospel. Um, it says here that, um, I go on in my article here, that Jesus must also be fully man. 
which the Jehovah's Witnesses do recognize that he was fully man, but they deny his his uh, divine nature. But I also just want to make sure that that is clear, as we as Christians, we do believe that Jesus also was fully man. In Philippians 2, verse 7 and 8, it says, But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. This is from an early, um, most people think, the Carmen Christi, the, an early uh, New Testament uh, praise worship song. Um, in Hebrews 2.17, it says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. That's us. We are his brothers. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So he was made in all ways like as we are, yet without sin. In Hebrews 4.15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect who has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Um, Jesus is also known as the second Adam in 1 Corinthians 15.44. It says the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And if you read through Romans 5, you will see a distinction. You will see a, a group of people that are in Adam, and we'll see those that are also in Christ. Those that are only in Adam have his, his sin imputed to them, and those that are in Christ have his righteousness, the righteousness of God himself, imputed to us. Um, God originally created Adam. This is why Jesus is known as the second Adam is in Ecclesiastes 7.29, it says um, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. So God made Adam perfect. He was not with a sin nature. He had the choice of choosing between that which God had, um, his prescriptive decree, and um, he had, he could either follow that or he could not follow that, and he didn't. And so we are all fallen within Adam, and his sin is imputed to us. In the same way, Christ's righteousness is imputed to all who believe, which is Second um, Corinthians five twenty one. Um, this is known. Uh, it says here. I wrote here. Jesus must have two complete natures, uh, both the divine and human, in order to save people from their sins. This is known by theologian as the hypostatic union. And the one reason that I want you guys to be familiar with both the hypostatic union and the triune nature of God. Because if you are not clear on these things, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses will pounce on that. And um, they will demonstrate your inconsistency pretty quickly if you, don't, um, if you don't know what you as a Christian truly believe and what is Orthodox Christianity. So I would encourage you to understand these basic Christian doctrines uh, before you do encounter a um, Jehovah's Witness, or you may end up becoming a Jehovah's Witness. The thing that we have to understand is the Jehovah's Witness spends hours every week preparing to meet you, but the average Christian might spend 10 minutes a year preparing to meet a Jehovah's Witness. So there is a complete mismatch uh, there, and often most Christians are not um, are not prepared for an encounter with uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, the other issue, a gospel issue, uh, which once again, anyone who denies Christ cannot have the gospel, but 
is that they have a works-based righteousness, a works-based gospel. They say that there's four requirements for salvation, and I linked to an article on CARM, the Christian Apologetics Research Ministry, um, for the requirements of salvation by the Jehovah's Witnesses. You can go ahead and read that. Um, it says, uh, because they have these requirements, I wrote here that they therefore deny the biblical gospel of God's grace, which is in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, and justification by faith, Romans 5, 1. Paul tells us in Galatians 1 uh, through 8 and 9 that if anyone brings us another gospel other than the one that he had preached, he is to be accursed. Jehovah's Witnesses preach a different gospel with a different Savior, so they are definitely not Christians. They need to be evangelized and need to be given the true gospel. Um, once we recognize that Jehovah's Witnesses are not Christians and therefore not saved and that they abide under the wrath of God, that should motivate us with love to reach out to them and share the true gospel with them and um, and to do it with patience and uh, gentleness. <clears throat> All righty. I'm going to uh, jump to uh, the other article that I have on my site, uh, Questions to Ask Jehovah's Witnesses. And... Um, in that article, let me transition here to different screen. Let's uh, zoom in here. Um, in this article, I have uh, basically two sections. I have a defensive section and um, an offensive section. And the reason I have the defensive section first is unlike some other groups, like even Mormons, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are much better equipped, um, the, from my experience, um, in dealing with Christians and twisting Christians up. Um, you don't see that as much from Mormons. Mormons tend to go to subjectivism. You know, did you pray about the Book of Mormon? You know, if you pray about it, you know, God will will tell you that it's true. Um, but Jehovah's Witnesses will tend to more. Uh, try to make biblical arguments and really try to twist Christians up. So the first thing that you, I would really encourage you to do is, as I said before, is make sure that you're well grounded in the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, unfortunately, a lot of Christians will end up spouting modalism, uh, also known as Sibelianism. Modalism is a heresy <clears throat> that denotes that there is one being and person of God, but that he manifests himself in different forms. You know, he manifested himself as, you know, the one person of God manifested himself as Jesus Christ. And he also manifests himself as the Holy Spirit. Um, that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that... Um, the Godhead is made up of three distinct persons and there is one essence and being of God that is eternal, immutable, unchangeable, and it is shared co-equally by all three persons of the Trinity and that the father is not the son and the son is not the father and the spirit is not the son or the father. So we have to understand the doctrine of the Trinity ourselves so that we are prepared to answer questions um, a lot of questions Jehovah's Witnesses will give you will actually assume Unitarianism and will assume um, 
modalism. And so you need to be well-versed um, in these doctrines so that you can give clear and concise answers. Um, and I'll give you an example. Um, let me grab a drink of water here. I was recently uh, challenged by a um, <clears throat> uh, Jehovah's Witness, um, and I'll scroll actually down here to the part of the article that I, I put this in here. I actually uh, amended that to the article here recently. Um, I'll highlight that section is um, because I had I had received this recently. Um, a Jehovah's Witness may challenge you and say that the Trinity is illogical because Christians are saying that one plus one plus one equals one. Okay. The problem with this article is that it assumes, once again, Unitarianism. I'm not a Unitarian. I'm a Trinitarian. <laughs> and so my answer to this Jehovah's Witness that was giving me this challenge, I said, well, I, I, I completely disagree with you. I don't believe that we do believe that one plus one plus one equals one. I believe that we believe that one person plus one person plus one person equals three persons. <clears throat> what he's doing is he is confusing what we as Christians see as a distinction, and that is being in person. Um, I, as a human being, am, am finite. I am restricted to time and space. Um, one point in time and space, I'm a finite being. So therefore, my being can only be shared by one person. However, the being of God is in, infinite, eternal. And so therefore, his being shared and can be shared completely and totally by three persons uh, and so we as uh, Christians see the distinction uh, between that the other thing that we have to be clear on is as I mentioned before is we have to understand the uh, the hypostatic union and so I have links to articles here from CARM which are from modalism the Trinity so you can go and visit this article and uh, all the links are in here. Um, so the next section I'm going to go to is some offensive questions that you can use with Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, what I have done with almost all the questions that I've done, and I've actually used all of these in encounters with Jehovah's Witnesses, and I'll, I'll tell you the ones that have been the most effective, but all of them work um, fairly well. And, um, <clears throat> and I've had good success with them. I'll grab another drink of water here. I know dead air is completely unprofessional, but we don't claim to be professional here. So, Alrighty. So back to it here. Um, the Jehovah's Witnesses have their own Bible, which I believe they translated initially. The first edition was back in 1955, I think. And it's known as the New World Translation. Now, I don't know that I would even call it a version of the Bible. It is uh, more of a perversion of the Bible. Um, it actually even angers me because I, as I started studying the New World Translation, uh, you can just see literally deliberate acts of mistranslation, uh, just completely deliberate. Even for somebody like me who knows very little about Greek, um, I've just done some studying on it, but <coughs> I know very, I'm not a Greek scholar, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but um, I can even see their mistranslation just by using a Greek lexicon. 
and uh, <clears throat> just seeing the definition of words and how they translate, and especially um, the one that we're going to pay attention to is the word proskuneo. And we'll get to that. Um, that's one of the arguments here. But we'll look at that here in a little bit. Um, so what they've done in the New World Translation is a lot of the traditional texts that um, that we as Christians are used to, to go to, to demonstrate the deity of Christ, they have um, sufficiently um, ripped the shreds in the translation. So don't go to John 1, 1. Don't use Philippians 2 or Colossians 1 with um, a Jehovah's Witness unless you're well prepared for it. <clears throat> what I'm going to give you is I'm going to give you arguments that you can use from their own perversion of Scripture that still demonstrates the deity of Christ very strongly. And um, it's some things that they haven't made corrections yet to and haven't sufficiently perverted. Um, so uh, one of the... Um, also, they've sufficiently mangled Hebrews 1 also, but we can still use Hebrews 1. Uh, we just don't use, I think it's verse 6. Which is once again a great demonstration of the deity of Christ and how even the Father calls the Son, saying, Your throne, O God. But they have, um, they have sufficiently mangled that so that you cannot see that in the English version of the New World Translation. But um, what I've done here in argument one is, uh, and as I said, uh, you will um, you can find this on my website. Um, just go and search for questions to ask Jehovah's Witnesses. You can just pop that into the search field. Um, or you can go down to the tag cloud and just click on Jehovah's Witnesses, and you can find all my articles on Jehovah's Witnesses, which I, I've just written three of them. So, um, But argument one, and I've done this with Jehovah's Witnesses already, is um, just ask them uh, to give you some attributes that make up the being of Jehovah God. And um, you might need to, you know, help them out a little bit with this. That's typically what I've had to do. Um, many of them haven't thought some of these things through very well. But I'll ask them if they would, for example, admit or agree that Jehovah God is infinite, you know, eternal, um, omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, he's, he's unchangeable, he's immutable. And once they agree uh, to this list of attributes for Jehovah God, ask them, and ask them specifically in this way, ask them if Jesus Christ carries these attributes. Um... Jehovah's Witnesses, I wrote here, believe that Jesus Christ is a created being who is Michael the Archangel. So they will have to say no. You know, Michael the Archangel, there's no way that Michael the Archangel is infinite or that he's eternal um, or that he's omniscient or that he's he's immutable. Um, <clears throat> so they will have to um, say no uh, to that. So then you can next ask them, this is a question, uh, let's switch back here, uh, question number three. Next, ask them if the attributes that make up the being of Jehovah are exactly represented in Jesus Christ. So in other words, does can Jesus contain all the fullness of these divine qualities in himself? And please make sure you ask the question in, in this way. 
it's very critical that you do because it will cause them to directly contradict even their own text. Um, now, in other words, uh, ask them if Jesus can be infinite, eternal, and omniscient as Jehovah is. Now, they will have to say no. So, next, take them to their own scriptures, <clears throat> Hebrews 1, 3, and ask them to read it. And um, you can also use Colossians 2, 9, but we'll go with Hebrews 1, 3 first. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact representation of his very being. He sustains all things by the word of his power, and after he had made a purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So, how can he be the exact representation? The Greek word is character. How can he be the exact representation of God's being? Again, if God's being is infinite, omnipotent, omniscient, eternal, how can he be an exact representation of that being if um, he's a created being? They don't recognize the massive gap that exists between creator and created. Um, there, you cannot bridge that gap. It's you cannot bridge the gap between the finite and the infinite, between the eternal and the temporal. Um, you can't do that. <clears throat> and so we as creatures are far, 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 far below the infinite, the eternal, and the immutable and unchanging God. Um, so there's no way that a created being can be the exact representation of God's very being, unless He is God Himself. And in Colossians 2.9, you can also have them read it there. It says, because in him all the fullness of the divine quality dwells bodily. Okay, that's actually a pretty good translation. But how can all the fullness of the divine quality or essence dwell in Jesus Christ? How is that possible if he is not God? <clears throat> uh, the next argument, uh, you can take them to is you can ask them to read Isaiah 10, verse 21 in their uh, translation. And I found this argument to be a pretty effective one, um, which only reads, it's um, only a remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. So I ask from this context here, and they can read the context of that verse, is who is mighty God in this text? And they will say that it is Jehovah. And then ask them if Jesus Christ is known as mighty God, or is this a title for Jehovah only? They will very, very likely say that this is only a title that can be attributed to Jehovah. Ask them to now to turn in their own text to Isaiah verse 9 and 6. And this is a very common verse that which you will hear at Christmas time. But um, the New World Translation has not sufficiently perverted this one yet. It says in Isaiah 9, 6 in the New World Translation, For a child has been born to us, his son has been given to us. Now, what I've done in the past is I've actually interrupted them there before they read the remainder of the verse. And I just asked them, Who is the child that is born to us and the son that has been given to us? And they will say, Well, that's Jesus. And then I say, Well, go ahead and read the rest of the verse. And the rulership shall rest on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Ask them who is the mighty God in this text. It has to be referring to the child that has been born to us. So, <clears throat> Isaiah 9-6 is a great verse to demonstrate the deity of Christ. 
from their own perverted text. It's a great argument. Um, another argument that I like to use um, is found in Isaiah 44, 6. Have them uh, read that in their translation. Uh, this is what Jehovah says. The king of Israel and his repurchaser, Jehovah of armies, I am the first and I am the last. There is no God but me. So, in this text, God calls himself the first and the last, and then he even affirms that there's no God but him. There's none who is the first and the last like him. Ask them who here has the title of the first and the last. The answer, by necessity for them, has to be Jehovah. Ask them to read Revelation one seventeen. Uh, and 18 it says here when I saw him I fell dead at his feet and he laid his right hand on me and said do not be afraid I'm the first and the last okay I usually stop them there I say now you said the first and the last is Jehovah so this must be Jehovah right and in verse 18 it says and the living one and I became dead but look I am living forever and ever and I have the keys of death and the grave so, the next question then is, well, who is dead and then became living forever and ever? And the answer to that is obviously Jesus. But here Jesus also gives himself the title of the first and the last, which in Isaiah 46, 44, 6, um, Jehovah says, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Okay, the next argument you can use is argument uh, number four I have here in my article. Is um, ask them to read John 1 and John 1 14. Now, what I would ask you to not do is don't contend with them <laughs> of their mistranslation here, where they actually say in the New World Translation, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Don't even challenge them on that. Um, ask them to read verse 14. <clears throat> and it says here in verse 14, So the word became flesh and and recited among us, and we had a view of his glory, a glory that belongs to the only begotten Son from the Father, and he was full of divine favor and truth. So have them read those two verses from their translation. Ask him if Jesus Christ is the word Logos here, if that is Jesus Christ. They will affirm that. They don't have any problem with that. Ask them if verse 14 says that Jehovah God is giving his glory to a lesser created God called the Logos, Jesus. And they will have to affirm that because that's actually what they believe. They believe that Jehovah God here is giving his glory to a lesser created being known as a God. Ask them to then read John 17.1 and John 17.5. Um... Jesus spoke these things and raising his eyes to heaven said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. So here we see both the father and the son glorifying one another. In 17.5 says, So now, Father, glorify me at your side with the glory that I had alongside with you before the world was. <clears throat> so we see here that the son had glory with the father before the world was. So they will have to say here that Jehovah here is giving glory to a lesser created 
God. Um, and so then ask them to read Isaiah 42, 8 and Isaiah 43, 10. In Isaiah 42, 8, it says, I am Jehovah. <clears throat> this is my name. I give my glory to no one else, nor my praise to graven images. And in 43, verse 10, it says, You are my witnesses, declares Jehovah. Yes, my servant, whom I have chosen, so that you may know and have faith in me and understood, understand that I am the same one before me, no God was formed, and after me there has been none. So in light of these verses, ask the Jehovah's Witness how Jehovah can give his glory to this lesser created God when he says that he doesn't give his glory to anyone else, and how there has been a God formed after Jehovah when Jehovah says here that there is no God formed before me, and neither will there be one after me. Um, so that's another good argument to use. Um, argument number five, and this is the one I mentioned before. It's based off the um, Greek word preskaneo. And this is one that really angers me. What uh, the New World Translators have done, um, as they go through the New Testament, every time the, this, the word preskaneo is used in reference to Jehovah, they will translate it as worship. But whenever the same word is used in reference to Jesus, they will translate it as obeisance <coughs> and not uh, worship. And this is an attempt to diminish as much as possible the impact of the New Testament record of the worship of Christ. Uh, the Greek word preskaneo here, um, it literally just means uh, worship. Um, but this becomes effective if you ask them to read in their New World Translation and actually um, just point out that these words are the term proskuneo. So what I do is I take them to Matthew 4, verse 9 and 10. And this is where Jesus was being tempted by, the, uh, by Satan in uh, the wilderness. Um, and it says here in the New World Translation, it says, and he said to them, all these things I will give you will fall down and do an act of worship. And then I will tell them, by the way, that's the word proskuneo to me. Then Jesus said, go away, Satan, for it is written, it is Jehovah, your God, you must proskuneo. And it is, and it is to him alone you must render sacred service. So Jesus is saying it is to Jehovah, your God, you must Proskuneo and him alone. You should not proskuneo anyone other than Jehovah God. So then ask them if we are to give proskuneo or worship or obeisance to any other than Jehovah according to Jesus. They'll have to say no because Jesus definitely refuted that. Ask them to read Matthew fourteen thirty three and fifteen twenty five in their own New World Translation. It says in Matthew fourteen thirty three. Then those in the boat did obeisance, which is, once again, the Greek word proskuneo, to him saying, Lord, help me. And um, in Matthew fifteen twenty five it says, But the woman came and did proskuneo to him saying, Lord, help me. 
So here we see Jesus accepting proscuneo after in the temptation with Satan in the wilderness. He actually said that we should render proscuneo only to Jehovah. Ask them to resolve this. Um, also point out <clears throat> that um, in Revelation 19.10, um, since they do say that Jesus is an angel, um, Michael the Archangel to be specific, in Revelation 19.10, the Apostle John here records that um, I fell down before his feet to proskuneo him or worship him. But he tells me, be careful, do not do that. I'm only a fellow slave of you and of your brothers who have the work of witnessing concerning Jesus. Proskuneo God, worship God. For the witness concerning Jesus is what inspires prophecy. So what happened here when the Apostle John fell down and tried to proskuneo an angel? Um, he was told to not um, proskuneo him. So also you can ask them to read <clears throat> Revelations 5, 8 through uh, 14 and just ask them if the lamb that was slain here was worshipped in this passage. Um, it's just a passage demonstrating the worship in heaven of the lamb who was slain. I won't go through the entire text, but you can go ahead and read that. And um, so that's a, that's a great argument to use. Uh, this next argument is um, <laughs> is one that's uh, it's it's a little humorous actually, because um, you actually even use a cross reference in their own Bible. So, in uh, Psalms one hundred two twenty five through twenty seven, um, you can have them read that. <clears throat> it says here. Um, let me switch screens here because I'm going to show you something in their own translation here. Let me zoom in just a little bit here. Okay. It says here in Psalms 102.25, it says, Long ago you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hand. They will perish, but you remain just like a garment. They will all wear out. Just like clothing, you will replace them, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years will never end. So I, I asked them in this psalm, who is the psalmist speaking about? And the answer will be that it's Jehovah. Okay. So what I do next is I go to and ask them to turn to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 7 through 12. <coughs> and ask them to read this text. Um, and I'll show you over here in their own New World Translation online. Other cross reference references here. It says, and also he says about the angels, he makes his angels spirits and he ministers a flame of fire. But about the sun, he says, God is your throne forever and ever. By the way, that's a perversion. Um, the real way the Greek renders that is that your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So in other words, the Father is calling the Son God here, but they pervert this text here, but we won't even address that. God is your throne forever and ever. And the scepter of your kingdom is the scepter of uprightness. Uh, you love righteousness and you hate lawlessness. This is why God, your God, anointed you with oil of exaltation more than your companions. And here's where it, the quote begins. And at the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. 
and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain like a garment they will wear out, and you will wrap them up just as a cloak. As a garment they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will never come to an end. So you can see here that the writer of Hebrews here is directly quoting from Psalms 102, 25 through 27, which they just told you is speaking of Jehovah. But you notice here that Jehovah here is speaking to the Son, and he's attributing this text to the Son. And here's the thing that's actually amazing about this. Let me uh, switch here tabs here on my screen here. But this here is the New World Translation Online. And if you actually go down here, um, right here is that text uh, from which is quoted from Psalm 102. And you see this little plus button here. This is a, let me move this up a little bit. Let me zoom in. Okay. This little plus button here uh, it references a cross-reference to another text. And if you actually click on it, you'll see it pops right up. Psalm 102, 25 through 27. So their own, and by the way, this cross-reference is also in the actual Bible they carry. So you could point it out either way. But you could point out that their own cross-reference says that this text quoted here in Hebrews is from Psalms 102, 25 through 27, which they just admitted was about Jehovah. So that's a that's a great argument to um, to show them. Um, so another um, argument you can point out to them is <clears throat> ask them if Jehovah has um, performed the greatest act of love. Ask them to read uh, John. And they will they will say that, of course, <clears throat> he has. And uh, I'll even ask him what that is. And they'll say that um, the greatest act of love is him giving Jesus to the world. <clears throat> ask them then to read uh, John 15, verse 13 from their own uh, scripture. And it says here, it says, no one has love greater than this, that someone should surrender his life on behalf of his friends. So ask them, who has performed the greatest act of love? Has Jesus performed the greatest act of love, or has Jehovah? And they will have to say, well, Jesus, I guess, did, and Jehovah didn't. But here's the thing. Yahweh, Jehovah, did perform the greatest act of love, because Jesus is Jehovah. So... Um, that's argument seven. Um, another argument, <clears throat> which I don't have, um, on this article, I may do a separate article on this is, um, in a, uh, book published by the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, in 1966 by the, um, Watchtower Bible and Tract Society called Life Everlasting. Um, I want to point something out here, and I switched the screen here to it so you can see it, and I've highlighted this in the text. And this demonstrates the uh, false prophecies of the Jehovah's Witness organization. <clears throat> and what you can do, let me switch here, let me grab my Bible, is you can take them, 
Uh, let me find it here. Yeah, here we go. Uh, you can take them to either Deuteronomy 13 or Deuteronomy 18, and you can read to them what the requirement is biblically uh, for a uh, false or for a prophet, a for a prophet to be from God. What are the requirements? And um, Deuteronomy 13, I'll just go ahead and read it. This is verses 1 through 4. It says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. Um, so, in other words, if a prophet comes along and tells us to serve after another god, and uh, Jehovah's Witnesses have done that, um, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society has told us to go after a god, an Aryan god, a a uh, Unitarian god, which is not the god of the Bible. But let's also look at 18 um, verses, uh, let's see here, okay. Verse 22, Deuteronomy 18, 22, it says, When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, and if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So it here says that, um, uh, let's see here. It says in verse 20, it says, But the prophet who presumes to speak your word in my name, that I have commanded, not commanded him to speak or speak in the name of that, that same prophet shall die. So a prophet who speaks as presumptuously and uh, says something is going to come to pass and does not, he is a false prophet, he is not of God, and uh, according to the Mosaic Covenant, the prescription for that was death. So... This is a serious offense. So if we actually look here in this book published by the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, Life Everlasting, and this is on page 29 of that book. You can see it right here. Scroll so you can see the page number. Page 29. Um, I highlighted this section here. <clears throat> and this was um, a false prophecy by them. It says, according to this trustworthy Bible chronology, 6,000 years from man's creation will end in 19... 75 and the seventh period of a thousand years of human history will begin in the fall of 1975 it says here so 6,000 years of man existence on earth will soon be up yes within this generation um, so this was something that they prophesied if you actually go down I'm just going to scroll down through this uh, PDF here and they actually have the timeline here and I want to show you um, uh, right here I'll bring it up here. Let me, uh, let's see here. Let me move this to, so you guys can see this better. But uh, right here in this chronology, and this is on page, let's find it here. Um, it's at the end of the chapter. 
it's just before chapter 2 um, you will find this right here it says um, 1975 let me drag this over there we go 1975 you can see it says the end of the sixth 1,000-year day of man's existence in early autumn. Um, one thing, if you do any uh, looking on any statistics, that uh, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society had a major hit after this false prophecy. Um, their level of convert or baptisms and new members um, dropped drastically and they actually even had a, a large exodus of people leaving the society um, after 1975 and uh, so it greatly impacted them uh, most Jehovah's Witnesses today don't know about this false prophecy but this was well known back in 1975 uh, they've tried to nuance this and tried to gloss this over but this demonstrates just this one false prophecy. I mean, that's that's all that we need. There's plenty of others. They also um, believe that Armageddon was going to happen in 1915, I believe. Uh, that did not happen either, obviously. Um, and so they have had repeated false prophecies um, and uh, demonstrated that uh, they are not prophets of God. So uh, those are some arguments that you can use with some Jehovah's Witnesses. I would um, encourage you to um, do some more research on your own and um, be prepared to speak to these people because um, it is our duty as Christians to be prepared for this and um, do it out of love uh, because they are lost people and they need to actually hear uh, the true gospel. So I hope that um, this uh, episode was uh, beneficial to you today. Um, I hope that you guys can get past uh, my uh, stumbling around with my um, my cold and my voice giving out. But I think we made it through it. And so I just want to thank you for joining us today. I just hope this was of some benefit to you. And uh, God willing, we will be back uh, with you next week. And um, we uh, hope to see you then. God bless. Don't you know that the unjust will not inherit God's kingdom? And through